0: Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali BBQ and Cali BBQ Media. In life, in the restaurant business and in the new creator economy, we learn through lessons and stories. Want to give a special shout out to Toast, our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurants. They power so many restaurants that come onto this show and they believe in storytelling, and they've given us this opportunity to connect with the most impressive storytellers in the hospitality space. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, someone that I met on the social audio app Clubhouse. Um, We have shared stages together, um, keynotes together, and he has written a brand new book called The Restaurant Marketing Mindset. His name is Chip Close. He is a restaurant coach. He is a restaurant podcaster, host of the Restaurant Strategy podcast, but more importantly, he's one of the most impressive marketing minds and hospitality minds, and he's here to share all of his secrets. Chip, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to be here. So the stage continues to get bigger. The first time I had you on, it was the Digital Hospitality Show, and now, thanks to Entrepreneur and Toast, we get to reach millions of people, um because of this incredible platform and we're going to teach them all the secrets that you've written in the book obviously we want them to purchase the book but um today's episode I think we're gonna getting some really cool stuff so um let's get after it what do you say absolutely I need to know where in the world is your favorite stadium stage or venue
1: stadium stage or venue uh I went to Stanford Bridge for the first time in London just in December I'm a huge uh, soccer fan Big Chelsea fan. That's where Chelsea plays. Stanford Bridge is sort of like going to Fenway if you're, a, if you're a baseball fan. It's like going to Lambeau if you're a big football fan. If you're a soccer fan, going to Stanford Bridge. Uh, it was the first time I was ever there. It is uh, remarkably intimate. And I was sort of blown away by uh, the experience, the the hospitality that existed there and sort of feeling of being in that stadium. I've, I've had the pleasure of being in a lot of great venues, a lot of great arenas. That was next level. And uh, it was really special being
0: there. So Stanford Bridge, how many does it seat? Oh, I want to say it's like 50,000. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to talk to toast. We'll talk to entrepreneur. We'll talk to some other brands. We are going to sponsor a TEDx style hospitality first conference. And I'm going to put chip in the center of the pitch. And I want to know chip. I want to know about storytelling specifically. And usually I ask a story that's biographical to you, but since I love you so much and I care about this episode and the people that listen to the show, they're playing the game within the game. I'm going to ask you a specific question. So some people I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, I have, I connect with people all over the globe. People that listen to the show, people like you and me, that podcast that create content that speak on stages. Um, no one has ever given me a gift. Like you gave me, you gave me the gift of story. You sent me an email with brian koppelman and seth godin episodes multiple episodes of the moment so can you explain to our listeners why would you send that to me why did it make an impact on you and why is it important for the audience
1: you know brian is a screenwriter and a filmmaker and seth godin is a marketer by trade but really so much more he's an author and they've done now they i think they do an episode once a year twice a year but when you listen to the progression right so I, i'm a huge seth godin fan i follow him around everywhere meaning i read his books i watch his talks and i listen to the interviews he gives and the first time he appeared on that show it was it, it felt like they were too they were like bristling at each other like they didn't quite um they didn't quite <laughs> sink uh brian had mispronounced seth's name like they just felt like they weren't prepared and like like these are giants and they just weren't prepared for it. And watching them both sort of like loosen and release and their shoulders come down and all the all the walls come down over the course of, I wanna say a two hour interview was so fascinating and they're so good at what they do. Brian is a great interviewer because he just asks the next natural question. He's naturally curious. I know that's a big thing that's baked into what you believe. And so um, as I try to get better at what I do as a podcaster, which is be more curious, ask the next great question. I try to listen to other great interviewers and he is just the best. What I love about Seth is that Seth is talking about from a 30,000 foot view. And he could, you could apply what he's talking about to just about any industry you're in. And of course, I'm in food, I'm in hospitality. I can't help but think that everything he says applies directly to us. He's been a huge influence and an inspiration to me, um, as I've said about my work, working with restaurants, as I said about my work as a podcaster, and now as an author. So watching them talk about, I don't even know what, every single one of those episodes, I just know I'm better for it coming through that interview. They open my mind, and they soften me, and they get me to think differently about the world that's around me, which ultimately I think makes me better for my clients, makes me better for our industry. Did, did you? I mean, it obviously resonated. Those interviews resonated with you too.
0: It it was magical. I mean, for me, the magic of podcasting, the magic of content, is that you get a seat at the table at at tables you would never sit at. You know, when you have the ability to have someone like Brian and Seth literally challenge each other, yeah, ask deep questions of one another, talk about topics that they've been thinking about that are top of mind for them, and then historically go back, contextualize where they were, when they were writing the book that they were writing or producing the piece of work that they were creating. And for you and me, when we spend so much time in the hospitality space, trying to get back to the craft, trying to get back to the origin story of so many restaurants, you know, the business that you're in is making businesses profitable restaurants. We didn't get into this business to be nonprofits. Sure. Why do you, why did you build your business the way that you have, you have clients, you have hundreds of clients in your mastermind. You're helping them reach 20% profits, which is unheard of in our space. But so many restaurant owners that are struggling right now, they're listening to this, they're watching this and they go, what do you mean? 20% profits. What are you talking about? Chip? Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, I was raised in this industry to expect no more than 10, right? 10% 10% was the land of unicorns, fairies, rainbows, and leprechauns, right? If, if we get there, and if you got an $18 million restaurant, you got a $25 million restaurant, I don't know, 9% of 25 million is a pretty good living, so be happy with what you got. But that isn't the reality for the majority of restaurants that in this country, right? The average independent restaurant in this country makes about 1 to 1.5 a year. So that's about $100,000 a month in revenue. And when you take away, you know, when you take home ten percent of that and you split it between two, three, four, maybe more partners, I don't know how you make a living. And so my perspective on this is that what we do is extraordinary. Not everyone can do it. What we do uh, matters. It builds community, provides jobs, puts food on people's tables. I mean, literally, the guests that sit at our table, we we feed them, and then the people we employ, we help feed their families. What we do is absolutely crucial. And so many owners, and I'm sure you understand this, being an owner, being an operator as you are, you look out for everybody. I mean, I talk to people who come into my program. I said, you pay your rent every month? And they say, yeah, of course I pay my rent. I said, have you ever missed payroll? They said, no, of course I've never missed payroll. I said, great. You pay your vendors, you pay your electric, and you pay on and on and on and on. You got good relationships with your, uh, with your vendors and all that. Yeah, of course. I said, so you're the last one that gets paid every time. And I think that's admirable. But we have to stop wearing that like a badge of honor, just like we have to stop wearing the 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks as a badge of honor. We don't have to be there at our restaurant all the time to be respected, right? I've heard this people like, oh, no, people really respect me because they see me there all the time. Those things are not, they will respect you as well. If you provide a really great place for them to provide for their families, you provide a really great meal for them. You don't have to be there. I think it's cool if you're there because you want to be there. But yeah. you shouldn't have to be there, especially when you want to open. And again, you know this, two, three, four, five, ten 10 locations. If you want to grow that, which means feed more people, provide more people with jobs, enrich more communities than just the one where you're at. So that's where I come at. You've got to build a profitable business. And I, and I want us all to be thinking in those terms. And it's not a dirty word. Profit's not a dirty word. Money's is not a dirty word.
0: Huge news toast, our primary technology partner at our barbecue restaurants in San Diego and the primary technology partner of so many of the guests that we have on this show have announced they are expanding their business offerings with Google so now if you search on google maps and you sign up for toast tables or toast wait list you will have the opportunity to improve the digital hospitality experience of the guest allow them to book through the maps into the toast reservation system one of the biggest difficulties that restaurant guests have is when they search for your restaurant and they want a table they do not have an easy solution to book a table or to get on a wait list. This is huge news for the restaurant industry, huge news for guests and huge news for you, the restaurant owner, check out toast tables today and find out the new integrated solution that they have. This is something that we've wanted for a long time. How do you integrate reservations, wait lists into your point of sale? Toast has done it. Check it out. Bring me back to the beginning of the coaching business. It's, you know, the it's not unique that people that are really good because you are the best of the best decide that they have a bigger calling, that they can help restaurant owners uh, achieve the things that they're not able to achieve. But in the beginning, bring me back to having that conversation with your wife and saying you have family to feed.
1: It's such a good question. And I am not the best of the best. I would never (laughs) profess to be. The only reason I know anything is because I had the great fortune to work with some other people who knew something and were willing to teach me. So you've said, right, a rising tide lifts all ships. If we're not willing to pass on what we know, what we've learned, what we figured out, then shame on us. It's selfish. It's narcissistic. and And I think there's no room for it, right? And I think this industry has largely suffered because we're all siloed because yeah. we either you know sell you know self-appointed or otherwise it's hard to trade information but we should guess what the biggest CEOs do in the biggest companies they share yes. they connect they, they they've got their own masterminds so my journey was very organic I was in operations I worked in restaurants for as long as I could remember and my wife got pregnant nine years ago right my, my son turned eight my business pretty much started eight years ago and it's because <laughs> wow, it's not really? by accident. It's yeah. not by accident.
0: And I started at, consult- my media started business. Eating. My media business started six years ago when my son was born.
1: Yeah, listen, that's I, I was by say, accident. My business is eight years old. My son yeah. just turned eight. It, that's not by accident. That's because I didn't want to miss family dinners. I wanted to be around for the weekends. I wanted to be there for holidays. I mean, listen, my first Thanksgiving ever, ever with my family was during the pandemic when literally there were no restaurants to be at. Yeah. So I had to be home, right? Thanksgiving in New York City is a is a big big deal. That's where I spent the majority of my career. Nobody gets off on Thanksgiving. It's all hands on deck. There are restaurants that will generate 50, 60, 80, 90,000 dollars plus in revenue on Thanksgiving. All hands on deck. So when my wife got pregnant, I said, "Okay, we, I have to start I have to start transitioning this." And it started very slowly. I was an amateur photographer. I started uh, shooting when I was in high school. And I just always kept doing it because I loved it. It was like nice. It was a meditation. It's quiet. I'd walk around the city and just shoot stuff. I knew how to work a camera. I knew light. And now social media became a really big deal. I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> I've heard about it. 13, <laughs> 14, 15. Heard about that. Right? Yeah. It started becoming a really big deal. So I started doing my I started doing my business, right? I started saying, hey, I got, I got people. I've got a network. What if they'll pay me? Well, I, can I find a couple of places? Couple of restaurants that will pay me, let's say a thousand dollars a month, to run there to do content curation, creation, and management. Right? Will they do that? Now the answer in the beginning was no, <laughs> but they were willing to pay me like six hundred dollars. Yeah. So I got a bunch of clients, and eventually they did pay me eight hundred and a thousand and more. And I started doing more and more for those clients, not just content creation, not just managing the platforms, but I started that, I doing web that. design. Really? Oh yeah, that's that's how I started. That's I did web design and email, and I, I, I started getting really into marketing. So I started doing that for a while. Now that turned into, I started, did that for a while. And I said, man, but I'm leaving all this operations stuff on the, on the table. Yeah. That's when I started my podcast in 2019. I just thought I'm having the same conversations with people over and over and over again. And I think we can help them. Not knowing if anybody would listen, I just committed myself. I said, I'm going to record 30 episodes in a row. Audio Except and
0: video or just
1: audio? Only audio in the beginning. I said, I'm just going to commit myself to doing 30 episodes in a row every Monday, 30 Mondays in a row. And at the end of that, I'll see if I like it. I'll see if it got traction. I'll see if I want to continue on. But I can commit myself to 30 episodes and let's see where we go from there. That's where I started transitioning. Through there, I got an audience and I started connecting with listeners. That's how I got some consulting clients and really coaching clients over the phone and via Zoom. Now, a year after I start my podcast, uh, the world shut down. I don't know if you knew, but COVID-19 shut down the world. Suddenly, all my clients that were in New York City, they all went away. Either they closed permanently they closed temporarily or they just couldn't afford to pay me but then they really needed me in other ways so my consulting then shifted to coaching and i did one-on-one coaching through uh, the pandemic and then out of the pandemic all of that sort of led me to a place where i started my own mastermind which is i went from the one-to-one model to the one-to-many model because i just thought how can i work with more people make a bigger impact uh, be more efficient with my time and specifically how how can i work with people at a reasonable rate. Because yeah. one-on-one to work with me was starting to get really expensive. And the kind of people that could afford that weren't necessarily the people and the companies I wanted to work with. Yeah, What I wanted to work with was small independent operators where I knew I could make an impact. The only way to do that was a one-to-many model. And now, I don't know, two plus years since launching that group, we've now got Nearly 100 people in the program spread across three different groups. The thing works, and it's it's making a huge impact. It's the most gratifying work I've ever done in in my career. That's the long answer to the short question
0: that you were asking. That was, a, that was the answer that I was hoping for, because the evolution of any business, and that includes the restaurant businesses, are you willing to do the work that isn't scalable to get to work that is scalable?
1: Isn't that funny? We never talk about evolution in our industry. I, I've done no. a whole bunch of restaurant openings. So that's how I made my career through, I say, 10 years of my career. I opened fine dining restaurants in New York City. And there's so much pressure put on that, the first three, three to six months of a restaurant's life, especially in yeah. New York City, especially in the fine dining world, because everything is reviewed early on. Everything gets a Michelin um, uh, adjudicator, uh, a judge to come early on, right? There's a lot of pressure it's as if to say, we've got to get it perfect and let it go. But yeah. it's not. You open with one idea and then it evolves. We all evolve, it's like fashion. Food is fashion, right? The yes. things that we ate in the eighties are different than the nineties and two thousands and now. Then, and then they come back. And then they come back, but <laughs> but look as, and listen, and this is food, right? Food is, a, is sort of a microcosm of our world. As borders change, as people uh, emigrate and flavors come in, right? Like in the 1950s and 60s, they didn't have some of the flavors we have now, right? Korean barbecue has been huge over the last 10 years, largely because there's a generation who grew up dining on it and said, man, I think other people would love it. I love it. I think other people would love it. Like it didn't just, it wasn't just invented. It was was children of a certain age are now growing up and entering the workforce and owning businesses. And they said, man, this is really good. Everybody who comes over to eat at my house really likes it. This is what I grew up with. and, And I think we can do this. In in a very real way, you can you can take Korean barbecue and trade it out with just about any style of cuisine. That stuff happens. It's a constant evolution.
0: When you sat down to write this book. Restaurant marketing mindset. Was it hard to narrow in on the stories that you wanted to tell and also give tactical advice?
1: So. Relatively speaking, there's very little tactical in that book because I knew if I got too tactical, it would be outdated in six months. My restaurant, the podcast is called Restaurant Strategy. That's a strategic book. It's why we called it, it's about a mindset. It's about shifting the way you think about marketing. Largely, the conversations that I used to have with my early clients were one of two things. I say, So tell me about your marketing now. They'd either say, well, I post four times on Instagram and three times on Facebook and that's my marketing. Or they would tell me the opposite. Well, we're not a big company. We we, we don't do marketing. We can't afford to do marketing. And they're both wrong. They're both totally wrong. Social media is not marketing. Social media is a tool available to the marketer and a very powerful, potent tool right now. But that will be replaced by something else, just like it was the yellow pages and newspapers and radio and TV, and then streaming and now social media. But it's just what's next. So what I really sat down to do was say, how do I get people in the mindset? How do I get people to think differently about marketing so that everybody understood that not only could you do it, but you absolutely have to be doing it? That's how I approached the book, and it largely stemmed from conversations I had with a lot of people working through my agent. Basically, I had my agency when I was consulting, and there were a lot of misguided uh, conversations. And I felt like they hired me to come do social media ads, and I was saying, okay, talk to me about your audience. Who's this product for? What do they want demographically, psychographically? What do they have in common? Where do they live? Do they live in this neighborhood? Do they work in this neighborhood? Do they... And they said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about any of that. Just run me an ad without understanding that I have to pick a picture or a video. Yeah. What sort of imagery is going to speak to your audience? I got to pick a headline. I've got to add copy to it. I have to target an audience. I've got to tell Facebook who to show this ad to. Without any of that information, I can't do the job you're asking me to do. Uh, and I lost clients that way because I said, I, I just, I can't do what you're asking me to do unless you're willing to do the work that I'm asking you to do. And largely I found that they just weren't able or willing to do that work. And it's not that hard. That was the underlying uh, you know, impetus for writing this book. Cause I think it's what everybody has to think about. Everybody has to think about what problem are they solving? Why do they need to exist? You are in this book from a, a talk that we gave together last year, where we talked about Simon Sinek's idea for Start With Why. Right? Yeah. Most companies work from the outside in. They know what they do. They know how they do it differently or better than anyone else, but they don't understand why they're doing it. And Simon Sinek says, you got to start from the inside out. And we gave this talk last year and you, <laughs> you are credited in the book. You appropriately said it really, it's really about two whys. Number one, why do you exist? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why did you start this business to begin with? You've got to define that. And why should anyone else care? Right? Yeah. Why should anyone else care? And that's largely, whether our customers realize it or not, whether they vocalize that or not, that's what they're asking every time. Why should I care? Who cares? Another barbecue restaurant. Great. Add it to the top of the heap. It's our responsibility to tell them, this is why I care. And this is why I think you should care. Why I think you will care.
0: When you give your keynotes, when you work your masterminds, what's, I know it's not one thing, but- Tell me a story about an unlock where someone's mind shift changes with the things that you teach, where they go, I never thought of marketing in that manner. I thought, you know, to your example of social media, I thought I was doing marketing. I didn't realize all of these other things are also marketing.
1: Yep. I'll give you a great example. It just happened in the mastermind today the mastermind that I ran today. In the book, I talk about something called the triangle principle. I've talked about this before on my podcast. I talk, all my clients get really sick of me saying it. The marketing triangle, the triangle principle basically says there's only three things you need to focus on to successfully market your restaurant. The three uh, sides of the triangle are uh, attraction, retention, and evangelism. Basically, we have to think about customer acquisition. right? How do we get people in? Customer retention, how do we get them back? And then evangelism, meaning how do we spark word of mouth? How do we get people to go evangelize for us, to go talk about us? That is what I believe. Once you've got a foundation, you understand what problem you're solving and how you solve it better than anyone else, right? Once you understand why you exist, well, then how do we take action? How do we actually market, right? That's, I believe, how you take action. It's a three-page marketing plan. That's how all my the members of my mastermind know it. Give me a three-page marketing plan. Tell me what you're doing, everything you're going to do to try to bring new people in the door. And that can be TV spots, radio ads, billboards, uh, direct mailers, Facebook, Instagram ads, Google ads, geofencing, everything. It's a list. It's not any one, two or three things. It's a list of 15 or 20. And then specifically, how are you identifying first-time diners and what are you doing to get those first-time diners back? How are you getting the person who's been here two or three times in the last year and get them to come back once a month How do you increase the frequency? That's how we change our business. I always start with the third piece, right? I always say the the marketing triangle. This triangle principle works best when done in reverse. It's this idea of the flywheel, which Jim Collins talked about in his book Good to Great 22 years ago. The flywheel. So we always talk about, oh, we need butts and seats. We need butts and seats. You've got. (laughs) I've never heard that before. (laughs) Yeah. Right. We've got butts and seats, and a butt is a butt is a butt. Who cares if it's a new butt or an old butt? (laughs) What happens is that there are people in your restaurant, what are we doing right now to get them to come back next week? Literally, I mean, that can be something as simple as a bounce back offer. Yeah, Let's, It's 1976 again. We shove a piece of paper in their hands and say, hey, come back any time next week and your uh, first round of drinks is on us. That's that's a way to incentivize them to come back and patronize our restaurant. Yeah, You got people in the door, so you shove that piece of paper, that's a retention tactic. But then what are you doing specifically to get them to spread the word. We talk about word of mouth. So when I take the stage, right, I always ask, I said, well, what's the most powerful marketing tool we have? And it comes back in a resounding chorus, right? Word of mouth. And then I ask the next question, I said, great. So sir, right here in the front row, so tell me your word of mouth strategy. And they go, uh, what? And I said, miss, over here, tell me your word of mouth strategy. And they don't have one. what our strategy is it's hilarious good food great service (laughs) and of course they'll talk about us right yeah great food great service of course they'll go rave about us absolutely not there are so many great restaurants there are five great barbecue restaurants within 15 miles of you you know it i know it why would they come why would they rave about that one you got to give them a reason to rave now a reason to 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 talk about you or to, to go leave a review or whatever All of that to say, we were talking about today in the masterminds. He said, one one specific example that sort of illustrates this where something unlocks. Something that I believe really um, specifically uh, is this idea of price anchoring. That a premium item in each category makes the other items look more reasonable. Yes. And will help drive more revenue. So I believe if you've got a list of uh, specialty cocktails and they're all listed at $14, I think you should have one listed at $19 and make it worth $19. Yes. I think if you have an appetizer, right? If you've got a bunch of appetizers at 12, 18, $20, you should have a $34 one. And one of my clients was saying, said, I know you're talking about this and 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 I'm, I'm trying to do it. How do we, how, how do I do it? She's got a vegan concept and she's like, I, I don't wanna waste food. I said, great. At, she wanted to do a lion's mane burger or a lion's mane steak. So it's is really big right now, right? Lion's Mane mushroom. I've it's never a beautiful heard of it. kind of big, <laughs> hearty, like a little fuzzy on the outside. And you sear it up and you serve it as a steak. And it's really, really good. And she said, I want to do that. But all my entrees are about 18 to 20. I would have to charge like $30 for this. I said, great. That's exactly what we're talking about. But only have four portions of them av- available and have your servers Every single table approach and say, hi, welcome. My name is Chip. We're glad to have you here today. Listen, I just wanted to let you know, as you're looking over the menu, we do have a couple more of the lion's main steaks. We only have a couple though. They sell out every single night. If you want it, let me know ASAP so I can make sure to go hold them with the kitchen. I'll be right back with your water and yeah. go away. People are going, whoa, I, I didn't even know that wasn't even on my radar. But Correct. now you've drawn attention to the most expensive item on your menu so that we we don't have waste. But people are going like, oh, wow, that's Okay, it's significant. Okay, somebody should get it. Somebody at the table should order that, right? We'll sell more of them. We were thinking, then we were talking about how do you make that look really impressive when it comes to the dining room? And how do we make other items look really impressive? She does this, again, it's a vegan establishment, but she does vegan waffles and ice cream. And I said, it's really great, but it's a round Belgian waffle, basically with ice cream on top. I said, I've seen that for 42 years. I used to eat it when I was a kid. Like, How can you do it differently? I challenged her and I said, there should be a vertical component because that always gets attention so she took a big skewer right and stacked the the four quadrants the four pieces of the thing and then put a big scoop of ice cream on top it goes through the dining room looking like a tower like a yeah. like a waffles and ice cream tower and it gets more attention and then she's basically able to charge more for it because there's something there's a performative nature of it and when we started talking about this then somebody said in the other group said, do you recommend that every restaurant do this? I said, I think every restaurant should do it in every section of their menu. We talk about this in the book. I had two guys who run pizza places. And they said, well, this one guy has got this really high-end pizza place in uh, up in Sonoma County. And he says, well, I mean, my pizzas are already like 24, 28 bucks. I said, great. So you need an, an $88 pizza. And he's like, I don't even know what I would put on it. I said, that's easy, caviar. You put just like just like anchovies. Anchovies on pizza is classic. Caviar does the same sort of uh, the same sort of salinity. Yeah. You're balancing the sweet, the garlic, and the salty of the the caviar. I said somebody's going to order it, and suddenly then he's all, he's very embarrassed about his twenty eight dollar pizza. I said he's like that seems so expensive. I said next to an eighty eight dollar pizza, twenty eight dollars is going to seem really reasonable, which is this idea of price anchoring. I love it that's a marketing idea that's and suddenly then people see value in in that they're like oh man somebody will always order the most expensive thing and people will love to, to watch caviar get spooned out tableside on your pizza plus you come over and say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna spoon out the caviar i don't know if any of you guys want to take a, some videos of this or whatever right like all of that's a no brainer. They were all sitting there scribbling down notes. I said, do you think you can have a caviar pizza or, or something similar in the next two weeks? They're like, I think it's going to go on the, uh, I think it's going to go on the menu this weekend. Like we can absolutely do that. I love awesome. it. Awesome. It's magical. Yeah. And the people who order it, they're going to love it because they can afford it. They know what it is. And it's so fun. You can't get it just anywhere. So you've now differentiated yourself from all the other pizza places. If you're going to be expensive, you might as well be expensive. And, make it worth it. But that's how you start doing that. And people will thank you for the opportunity. I mean, our guests, they will thank us for the opportunity to spend more. If they have more to spend, they will only be too happy because they want to collect the experiences of it.
0: When you think about the fact that most people- have the greatest tool that's ever been given to a business owner in their pocket. We talk about word of mouth. A lot of times we talk about word of pocket. How do we create content in real life and how do we publish it online? We put on this storytelling podcast because we believe that we've never gone through this time where the creator economy is meeting the business economy. Mm -hmm. Literally business owners like myself are creating content and doing deals, doing brand deals so that... Literally, has never been done before. Literally, this is an opportunity for restaurant owners to create B2B content. I heard on a recent podcast, a buddy of mine, Jeff Fenster, who just launched a show on Entrepreneur, uh, the Jeff Fenster show. He was a guest on the show, but one of his guests said that everyone has a stage in their pocket, but most people are afraid of speaking on stages. And. When you and I go and speak on stages and we encourage other people to take out their phone from their pocket and to create content, I love when you do it. Most of the people are worried, scared to do it. One of the things that I I admire most about you is we had a conversation. I was on one of your shows and you were talking to me about content. You said that you hadn't made that much content and you were asking me all these tactical questions of how to do it. I give out this advice all the time. Very few people do it. You've done it. You've created a TikTok channel for yourself. You've created an Instagram channel. You've created a YouTube channel. Um, we're going to put those links in the show notes. Tell us about the journey of chip close becoming somebody that is an influencer, somebody that is telling their ideas to the internet, to not just selfishly build your business, but to connect with now restaurant tours that you want to get in front of.
1: We've talked about this before, right? My favorite quote of all time is by Zig Ziglar. You can get anything in life you want. As long as you help enough, other people get what they want. It's it's my mantra, and I think it's I think it should be sort of our <laughs> we should be you know heralding that. Valley we'll tribe, yeah. I yes. mean, for for this whole industry, right? We help people get what they want. Meaning, have a great place to have a date, have a great place to to close a deal, have a great place to you know celebrate the the softball win. Have a, all of that, right? So for me, it is about giving away. Again, and I've said this i continue to say this if there's anything i'm good at it's distilling down complicated ideas and making them simple to understand simple to take action on the only reason i can do that is because i had a lot of good information i read a lot i watch a lot i listen to a lot and i've had the great privilege of working with a lot of people who have helped inspire me and have taught me how to do what we do all of that to say is you framed it really right and it's a similar conversation to the conversation i have with my coach when i started my mastermind I didn't want to do the mastermind. I thought it was stupid. And I thought restaurant owners (laughs) would not spend two hours of their week listening to other restaurant owners bitch because that's what I thought it was. And it was pitched to me, right? My coach told me, no, I think this is what you need to do, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, thanks so much. No, thanks. She had introduced me to somebody uh, who then went on to be my partner. Uh, my business partner, and she runs the company with me. And I basically listened for 45 minutes. And I said, yeah, I don't think so. Thanks so much. And I basically hung up and I called her 60 days later. And I said, okay, tell me again. I was listening, but I don't think I heard you. And she went through it again to her credit. And she just did the whole thing. And she said what you said. She said, you have to think of how selfish you're being because you have a podcast and thousands of people tune in every single week to hear what you have to say because you're helping them in some way. yeah. You are connected to them and they are not connected to each other. And you have an opportunity to connect them to each other and you don't know what that will do yet. Correct. You're being selfish. You are privy to the relationships and you are withholding those relationships. So if you could be a conduit and a moderator to do that, then you have to do that. If not, you're being selfish. And I just thought, oh, okay, that's a really compelling reason to do it. Now, fast forward, it was not a couple of months later you basically said the same thing. So you can't dictate how people come find you and how you impact people. Yeah. So the podcast is great, but some people don't like podcasts. I wrote a book because some people like to read by uh, reading a book and they like to underline and dog ear and take notes. So we got the podcast, we got the book, and then we got social media. You said some people just want to learn in 60 second little spurts. They'll learn something from you today. They'll, they'll, ruminate on that all day. They'll take action on that and they'll be ready for you tomorrow or the next day to, to give them the next piece of actionable advice. You can't dictate how people are moved by you or how you impact people, which means you've got to be everywhere so that however you're going to touch people, reach people, that they have access to you. That was the thing that unlocked it for me. I said, oh, suddenly it didn't feel selfish. It felt selfish not doing it. I just thought I don't want to get on there. I don't want to. People need to hear me talking anymore. And it wasn't about me. I was making it about me. Correct. And it wasn't about me, nor is it ever. Right. It's all about I mean, the criticism I get on the about the podcast. Right. The criticism I get on online, you get this right. I'm sure <laughs> for sure. all the for all the nine <laughs> lovers, you got one hater. Oh, right. For sure. Yeah, that's fine. Absolutely. If we listen to that, we you know, and we stop doing what we do. Think about all the people that would be missing out on it. So you just sort of put blinders on and move past that. And largely that's what social media has been. It's just another way. And it's it's. I try to view it in as selfless, selfless of an act as I can.
0: Well, I'd love for you to get a little bit raw for the audience because we have restaurant owners. We also have restaurant professionals, people that are in sales, that are in marketing. And I truly believe that no matter if you're an introvert, an extrovert, your voice matters your story matters your point of view matters and because of all these platforms they're begging you to share your point of view you had to come out of your own proverbial shell and make TikTok content and make youtube content and bring us back to there so that the audience that's listening to this that goes, okay, Sean and chip, I get it. I need to tell my story. I need to get out there. I need to make a selfie video. Like bring us back to chip making the selfie video going, am I really like, what's your wife saying? What's your son saying? Like, well, what's what's going on through your mind, their minds you're hitting publish. I mean, still to this day, there's times where I take a video at an event and i'm like am i really doing this i'm like well yeah. <laughs> i'm going out and telling everyone else to do it so i better i better batten down the hatch yeah. and get after it <laughs> yeah but the difference is and this is what helped me
1: podcasting and i think it's helped me in this from the beginning from the jump i thought about the who i thought about who was on the other end and it's just all for them yeah so it becomes that much easier to do it so now i know you said it you just said about the audience, you're thinking about the audience, I think about the audience. And we were talking a few minutes ago about your two whys. Why'd you start doing this, right? Why, why do you do what you do? And why should anyone else care? And everything has to have those two pieces and it meets in the middle. We meet in the middle of the dining room, right? Yeah. This is what I do. This is why I think you'll care, right? I did this for you. That's what we're doing. So as long as you approach it that way, That helped me podcast. That helped me write the book. It took me over three years to write that book because I'd write it and then I'd start again and then I'd rearrange it and I'd move it. And I I knew what I was trying to say, but I, I didn't know how best to say it. As long as you keep in mind the audience, the who, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about them. Just like here, this audience, right? We're talking about this because this is going to resonate with your audience, right? With the people who show up to listen to you, to better themselves, to learn more, to change the way they think about it, um, to be able to make their business better, to be able to provide for their employees and their families and all of that. We just think about the who, as long as you think about the who, and that's true for you when you're turning on TikTok, that's true for me when I podcast, that's true for somebody else when they open the doors to their restaurant. It's the same thing. As long as you think about, and that's empathy, right? Put yourself in another person's shoes. What problem do they have, and how can I solve it? You solve enough people's problems, Zig Ziglar tells us, we'll be fine. The world will take care of us. So, it, uh, <laughs> what is or what seems like a very selfish act is actually one of the most generous things. And you help me, you help me see that. And that's been largely my my journey over the last couple of years of seeing, like, I gotta I gotta get over myself and just do this because I know I can impact somebody.
0: Well, what's so cool to, for me to see is that you inspire me by doing it. You remind me of the things that we all need to do and why we do what we do, because I believe it to our core that as hard as we work in this business, there's something better, you know, and when I find magical people like you that are adding profit to the bottom line for restaurant tours and connecting community, you know, that's one of the craziest things is that we have all these tools in our pocket, yet we feel disconnected. You know, when I'm, I'm fortunate to serve on toast customer advisory board and I get to go and meet with other operators and I meet there and there's this camaraderie of I'm not alone. I'm not and the you, only and you person. you recognize
1: how rare that is, right? It's
0: so rare. And when you so... create a mastermind, you hear someone else's story, whether they have a pizza concept or a vegan concept or an ice cream shop, all of a sudden we're all talking the same language. I have so many different people in each of my groups and when new people come to the
1: group, they'll like, and, they're, and they're considering joining, they're like, well, I'm in California. Are there, are there any other California restaurants? Well, I, I run a <laughs> breakfast shop. Are there any other breakfast shops? Because yeah. they think that their problem's like, oh, they, I need somebody who knows that day part. Yeah. And while, yes, there are challenges doing business in the state of California, right? Correct. With the labor being what? And I get that, right? And yeah, yeah, and I think that it is nice to have other people who understand what their payroll looks like every week. Sure. That, that's a reality of it. But what I find is that remarkably, all our issues are the same. Yeah, all our issues. there's only a hundred pieces to the pie. Cogs takes up a huge, huge chunk. Labor takes up a huge chunk. And then also, hey, we got rent and we got utilities and insurance and paper and you know, linens and marketing, and we've got other things to pay for. That's true no matter what restaurant it is. Cogs are expensive, Labor is expensive, and there's, oh, yeah, there's other stuff we need to buy. And if you get that balance right, you can be profitable. And largely, the balance is different in every single restaurant uh no matter what state you are what concept all that but they're still balancing the same thing they they still got to look at somebody and say hey i need to cut four hours off your week i'm sorry i just can't afford it they've all had to do they've all had to do that because they realize that's what's required if they're going to be solvent
0: every business is a family business why for you do you choose to share personally about chip a dad chip a husband yeah ship who travels and you're not only creating content about the help that you do for your restaurant clients.
1: it's funny. i I'm really um I'm really sort of raw about that. I share when I started my restaurant I'm sorry when I started my company and when I started the podcast restaurant strategy um, i was I was really honest and I am really brutal about that. When I invite people into the mastermind, I basically ask them, I mean, the first thing they do, First or second week they join is show me their recent PL. Yeah. And for someone who's a struggling restaurant, right, who's maybe just at break even or a couple points in the black, man, that's basically like show up to the party, take off your clothes and go get a drink. (laughs) Like it's really hard. And I think, at least I feel, I have to be willing to do the same thing there. So while I don't have a restaurant, I don't have a restaurant because I've never wanted to own a restaurant, but I love helping other people succeed with their restaurants but I still own a small business. So we've got that in common. I still have expenses. I still have challenges. I got cash flow issues sometimes. We all have that in common. And so that's my way of sort of taking my clothes off at the party. And I do, I talk really honestly about when my son was being bored. I talk really honestly about my dad working, you know, his two jobs, working all day and then teaching at night and, and not getting to see him during the week a lot of times and how that helped inform, uh inform me and the decisions I made I, I talk about what I would make in operations how I would work and and all of that and and then how I pivoted to be uh, deliberate about it. I think I think you have to be willing to do that I think I I, I don't want to tell anybody what to do I think I have to be willing to do that if I'm going to ask other people to show me their their deepest darkest shame of like well this is my business I, I just I don't know how to fix this anymore
0: Do you find that the people basically need some sort of business therapy i know it's not a professional service but i know for me personally when i get to talk to other business owners when i get to talk to other restaurant owners when i talk to other podcasters and content creators it is therapeutic to talk about the fears that i have of trying to figure out how to make this media side of our business work how do i make the ghost kitchen side of our business work all of these big ideas that we have yep if i'm raw if i'm vulnerable all of a sudden i get into a place where i'm no longer in my head but i'm with another human
1: so you put it right it's not therapy but there is something therapeutic about that the other piece to that is that really what we want to do is we want to know how to get out of it. Yeah. The only way out of it is to start climbing. Yeah. Right? And that's what the mastermind provides. Right? I always say everything's about systems and goals. We always have to figure out a goal. So we have to understand where point A is and point right now is point A. We have to define what point B is. How do we get from point A to point B? And what are the things we need to, we need to do to get there? So I'm at the bottom of the hole, I got to get to the top of the hole. I got to climb this ladder to get out of the hole. We define what climbing the ladder is, and that's different based on what you're trying to accomplish. It's the same thing when we look at a P&L, right? We look at, oh, our cost of goods sold is 41% and our uh, labor is 35%. Okay, we got roughly about seven to 10 points on the table. Now we know where to begin our work. That's where we stood. Now we, so we need a ladder. That's our ladder. Now, how do we get up the ladder? Then we talk, we talk through that. I think it's, soothing to be able to take action and stuff to be able to leave and say i got to do this 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 and this that's the next four things i have to do and then once i do that then we'll come back together and we'll talk about what the next four things are to do
0: it's awesome uh every single week on wednesday and on friday on the social audio app Uh, It's a magical place. I met Chip on this app. Uh, We meet the digital hospitality community meets. Uh, We would love for you, the listener to join. Tell us about your story. Tell us about if you're in sales, if you're in marketing, if you're in content, Um, join us on stage. It's a way to get your story out there every Wednesday, every Friday, 10 a.m. Uh, every week we do a social shout out for somebody that's gone above and beyond. And this week it's going to go to Lisa Radford. So Lisa is one of our managers. She's been working at Cali barbecue since we began. Um, she started as a bartender. Now she's one of our incredible managers, but she has embraced smartphone storytelling. So one of the things that we try to teach is that social media is everyone's job. It's not just one person's job, not just a social media manager's job, but she's uh, taken out her eye. I- phone uh, when Bernice is making food and she's just videoing the process and sending me the content. So Lisa, great job. Great work. Um, Keep up the good work. And then uh, just a reminder, please join us. I'm going to selfishly ask Chip when his episode drops to come on to Clubhouse and help me moderate a discussion. So you, the listener, I'll let you know when that is. It's going to be whenever Chip's episode appears, which is going to be, when does the book come out? Book comes out October 3rd. October 3rd, and you know the magic of media, this episode, you're going to be listening to this on October 3rd. So on the clubhouse that week, um, we'll let you know when Chip is going to appear. But the day the book comes out on entrepreneur.com, you're going to be listening to this and you're going to go, I get the first uh, first rights. Where do people go to find the book, Chip? Love
1: it. So listen, in the spirit, we're all owners here. We're all operators here. In the spirit of uh, a first party, third party conversation, you can go to Amazon. You can go and get that book. That's third party. I see a couple of bucks of every book that's there. Yep. If you really want to support the author, if you really want to support me, uh, go directly to the website, therestaurantmarketingmindset.com, and you can order it directly there. We will send it right to there. Shipping is included. That helps me. Uh, it doesn't get split up into a bunch of different corporate, uh, you know, multinational conglomerates. They don't get a piece of my book. Uh, all the uh, all the sales from the website go directly to me which i would be uh, eternally grateful if you could support in
0: that way please go out and purchase the book let us know uh what you learn from the book implement implement the ideas that are in the book uh chip i've got a couple questions before i let you go That's they're the on smartphone storytelling so i need to know are you an android or an iphone user iphone which version uh i don't even know 12. 12. do you listen to spotify or apple music Neither. Uh, I listen to Overcast. Overcast for podcasts or for music?
1: Podcast, uh, sorry, podcast on Overcast, Spotify for music.
0: Spotify for music. Got it. Uh, Do you prefer email or text? Email. Email. How many emails do you get a day?
1: Roughly 300.
0: How many do you enjoy reading? 30. Are you an inbox zero? No. So you keep... How many emails do you have on your phone right now on red? 58, 58. <laughs> Do you prefer video or photos?
1: <laughs> uh, video.
0: If I look at your screen time, how much time are you spending on your phone? A day, a day. I don't know. Nine hours. Nine hours. Uh, what is the most used app? Uh, email, email. What's your favorite app? What's your most enjoyable app?
1: Uh, overcast the podcast,
0: overcast the podcast. What's your favorite podcast that you listen to besides this one? The Tim Ferriss show, the Tim Ferriss show. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, any books that aren't your book that you would recommend to a restaurant owner? You actually oh. have actually that that reminds me this chip. You did such a nice, what a nice gift. It's the coolest it's thing. Great. It's the coolest thing that my publishers let me do. I was so happy to see this. So if you're watching this, Chip actually answered the question in the book. And he has a two-page reading list, which some of these books I haven't read. So they're now highlighted for they're me to all read. all
1: in. They are 30 of my favorites. And let me give you the one that I just finished reading. It obviously, since I just finished reading, it couldn't make that list. But it should absolutely make that list. It's a book called Priceless by a guy named William Poundstone it is dense it is sciency it uh, pulls on a bunch of different research that's been done over the last 50 years it's all about the psychology of pricing it absolutely has everything to what uh everything to do with what we do it it, i mean largely had to do with what we were talking about early in this episode about how price anchoring and and how we think about value uh how the consumer thinks about value that book is so, so good. If there's any owners or operators that want to think differently about how our customers think about this, go read it.
0: All right. Priceless. And what is your favorite digital playground? Where can people, where do you, where do you publish? Where do you enjoy? What brings you the most joy? Which platform brings you the most joy to publish great on?
1: Great question. Um, It's probably TikTok.
0: TikTok. Okay. It's
1: probably TikTok.
0: And that's Chip Close, at Chip Close on TikTok? That's right. That's right. We're going to put links to all chip's, uh, content where you can buy his book, uh, where you can join the mastermind and where you can follow him on social. We will see you guys chip. I'm honored to be in the book i'm honored to call you a friend i can't wait for the next time um the evolution of your business my business where we are the communities that we create i know that we're we're just getting started and anybody that's listening to the show please reach out to chip he is an abundance of information of wealth of empathy for you the restaurant tour and he's just a great guy to be around to follow his content to support the work that he does and he speaks all over the world Um, so he might be coming to a, a land near you, please go out and support (laughs) and support him. But, um, Chip, thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate Um, it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The best way that you can help us with the show is to subscribe and write a review. We love the opportunity to connect with you no matter where you are on the globe, no matter what restaurant you are running. Please send us a DM on social at Sean P. Walchef. If you are interested in toast, if you want to improve your digital hospitality, please send me a DM. I will get you in touch with a local toast representative. We appreciate you listening to this show. The best way that you can help the show is share it with a friend and we will catch you all next week, or we will see you on one of the digital playgrounds that we call social media.